I'm Michael Laurie and you're listening to the Ulster Rugby Roundup. Hello and welcome to another coronavirus affected edition of the Ulster Rugby Roundup. I'm Gareth Hanna and with me to discuss the latest impact of the outbreak is Jonathan Bradley. Hello. Hello Jonathan, are you feeling better this week? Feeling a lot better, thank you. Good, good. And we did reassure everybody last week that you didn't have coronavirus. Yes, and yes, today on my first day back in the office, this is the third time that somebody brought up the fact that I might have had it. I didn't have it. It was very suspicious. You know, it's a bad time to get sick, basically. It is, yeah. Yeah, nobody will come near you then. Well, maybe that's a good time to get sick then, I suppose. Potentially. So... We should be reconvening this week to preview Ireland's trip to France, but once again, we're frustrated as another match falls victim to the virus. Uh, so no croissants and red wine for me. No, well, yeah, th- a disappointment all right. You could still have croissants and red wine, but it wouldn't be the same. Um, <laughs> Might still. <laughs> so there's just one match then on not-so-super Saturday this weekend. Scotland are still going to Wales at 2.15. That's been confirmed. That's definitely on, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so it seemed like they might just make more sense just to call that off and have Super Saturday in October or whatever. Only from a TV perspective. Yeah. Not from a logistics perspective of all the people that have tickets. And I believe there was a large number of Scottish fans who had already had flights cancelled through Flybe who then bought train tickets. So if the game was to then not go ahead and they've already oh, forked it then disaster then, yeah yeah no alright so that's fair enough then uh, we'll live with that decision so that means there's three matches that haven't been played isn't that right with mm-hmm. England and Ireland's games against Italy also so we have those three games outstanding mm-hmm. what do we know about where it leaves them well it's far from ideal obviously obviously um, not just the fact that there's three games but the fact that Obviously, the Italians are involved in two of them, so they can't. Mm. So you're essentially talking then you need two weeks in the calendar. They should just play them the same week because Italy aren't going to win either game. Just make them play two half teams. Just, just play anyway. Like have Italy, <laughs> Italy and Italy A play, yeah. or just like Benetton play one and Zebra play yeah. the other or something. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Andy Farrell speaking today in Abbotston has said that they are well up for a finish in October. They've only got the three autumn internationals, so they think. Sure, they are involved in two games too. So. Well, yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Continue. Yeah, but. <laughs> so you have the fact that Ireland have to play in two games, Italy have to play in two games, so you need two weekends. Which, if, as we suspect, and which Andy Farrell has seemed to support today, the final round of fixtures is on Halloween. Mm-hmm. Then you have to play the Italy Ireland game before that. Right. Which would involve, if it was to be one week before it, would involve a clash, we think, with the Champions Cup. Really? Yes. Which is a difficulty. Which is a difficulty. Because if you move the Champions Cup forward in the calendar, mm-hmm. or sorry, back in the calendar, then you're probably playing the first round of it before your internationals that have been on summer tours are back. I'll come back. So it's going to be very difficult to have uh, at least one round of Champions Cup fixtures that isn't played without some internationals. Yes. A significant number of internationals given yes. that England, France and Ireland. Yes. Oh, no, would, you, would it just be Ireland and Italy then? We don't know. 
Well, we don't know, yeah. But mm. it should theoretically be Ireland and Italy, yes. But there were no... Were there Champions Cup fixtures played in October last year? Well, it was the World Cup last year. So that's why it was different. That was, that was different. Now, the season has obviously shifted a bit in structure. So where before the tour, summer tours would have been in June and the Champions Cup was starting in October, now the summer tours are in July with the Champions Cup mm-hmm. starting slightly later in October, mm. which obviously makes it even less likely that you're going to have anyone that goes to Australia in the summer featuring in potentially either the first round of the Champions Cup mm-hmm. or anybody that is featuring in these refixed Six Nations games potentially featuring in the second oh. round of the European Cup yeah. because Ireland will now, we think, possibly have five consecutive Saturdays with the mm-hmm. test match. So it's not possible essentially it's not going to happen that anyone's going to play in all five of those games because it just doesn't no. it doesn't happen no. you know and then throw in the fact that there'll be two Champions Cup games before them or possibly overlapping with them and then potentially only one round or two rounds to the Pro 14 before you're back into the Champions Cup mm-hmm. you have what can only be described as an incredible slog yeah either side mm-hmm. of, I suppose, um, between the start of the season and Christmas. Which, as we know, happened this year. Everyone mm-hmm. mentioned it continually, 13 weeks consecutively mm-hmm. for Ulster. Um, players filtering back in from a World Cup, a season that started in June, ending in July. Yeah. But the whole thing is it's meant to be once in every four years. Yeah. Whereas now you have it again, so this yeah. season that you know preseason for these players will start in August for even the internationals who play up until the middle of July against Australia. Mm-hmm. The final test of the Lions series is the seventh of August. That will be the third Lions test to go on top of what is now ten Ireland tests in the middle of the season. So if those players play 13 tests, how many games are they going to play for the provinces? Not many. Not many at all. Um, normally you could at least guarantee that they would be available for Europe, but that no, doesn't even become a guarantee anymore. No. So, it, yeah, and because of reasons that you outlined last week in terms of finances of these Ireland and Lions games, that the only option of teams that are going to lose out are going to be the provinces, realistically. Yes. Uh, in a world where TV money is king, and we might find out this week that we are in, in coming into that world in rugby, but we're not there yet. Attendances and ticket money still are the driving force behind the game. So there was never any possibility that they were going to say, oh, we'll just play these games behind closed doors and refund you know, three, four million euros worth of tickets in each instance. That was never going to happen. And then given the way the calendar is ordinarily, given the fact that some of these grounds are in use throughout the summer for the Euros, Euro 2020, in addition to all that, really meant that you have this situation where something has to give and it, Looking at it now, sat here in the middle of March, mm. 
it looks like it's going to be the Champions Cup. Yeah. Unless they move the Champions Cup to a degree mm-hmm. and work out a way where you just don't see any of the internationals in the Pro 14 until, I don't know, Dude. December or something. Yeah, and even then it won't be for long, a couple of games, and then they'll probably be gone again for the foreseeable future. So, yeah, it doesn't really look good for provincial seasons next season. And also, we're talking about this as if the Six Nations is the only competition that's going to be impacted by coronavirus. But Ulster have games coming up thick and fast in the very near future. What are the chances that those go unaffected? Well, the whole thing is that everything seems to me to be guided by government advice. That was what we saw with the Ireland Italy game, which was postponed essentially by the government before mm-hmm. they'd even spoken to the yeah. RFU. Yeah. That was what we saw last night with, sorry, Sunday night, um, mm-hmm. French Rugby Union yeah. saying that the game was going ahead. The government on Monday morning said, no, it's not. Mm-hmm. And that was it. Yeah. So at the minute, the UK government, which obviously Ravenhill and the vast majority of the Pro 14 teams mm-hmm. come under in terms of their away trips yeah. um, have said as of Monday that there's no need to play any, play sporting contests mm. behind closed doors. And so that is fresh. That's from this Monday today, morning. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we've seen Cheltenham go ahead as planned, which mm-hmm. seems ludicrous. But, <laughs> here we are. But here we are. So... For instance, the Dragons game on Friday, or next Friday, mm-hmm. doesn't seem to be under any threat. Now, we've seen a lot can change in, you know, mm-hmm. 10 days' time. Yeah, and that, like, that game is, what, how far did that look? We're 11 days away from that yeah. game now. Bearing in mind that the Dragons were able to play Benetton in Newport. So Benetton, having come from Northern Italy, yeah. were able to play... You know, fulfill a fixture uh-huh. against Newport. So it doesn't seem like the Pro 14 fixtures, apart from the ones being hosted in Northern Italy, are under immediate threat. But obviously, you have a game in France coming up. Mm-hmm. So the French government today said that basically any gatherings of more than a thousand people that aren't I think their their original phrase was of benefit to the nation or something like that, which mm-hmm. we believe turns out means like protest or something. So basically, the oh. cat, you know, French football league on have said that until April the fifteenth, games are going to be played behind closed doors. Mm-hmm. We don't have a round of fixtures for the top fourteen this weekend, so no mm-hmm. decision like that has come out of French rugby. Obviously, things are sort of pushed along. Um for football because the football was mm-hmm. PSG were playing what PSG were Dortmund Wednesday night yeah. yeah so a decision had to be made mm-hmm. whereas it doesn't have to be made yet but mm-hmm. if you take what they've said at face value then there's no way these games can go ahead with a crowd yeah with a crowd of over 1000 people yeah so which, which also applies because the French government have said that is lasting up until April 15th assuming anything else changes you would imagine Ulster's quarterfinal in Toulouse has to be played in front of no more than 1,000 people. Yes, so if you were a betting man at the minute... You and that includes, like, that includes everybody in the stadium. So that includes all your staff, your players, media, whatever. So basically we're saying no fans. Yeah. 
Like, if you were a betting man today, you would say that that game's going to take place without any fans. Absolutely, yeah. So, if we follow, then, the line of progression of coronavirus outbreaks across Europe, for instance, France now has 1,000 coronavirus cases and 19 deaths. The UK currently has about a third of that in terms of cases, 319, and just risen today to four deaths. Not a million miles because of the, the exponential growth of this outbreak. We're not how many days, in, like we're talking time, how many days away are we away from hitting those French numbers that have caused this? Not, not long, you would imagine, basically. Yeah. So, therefore, Ulster, all sporting events, but Ulster's upcoming matches at home and everywhere else in the UK are presumably... But well, of course, this depends on whether the UK follows France's, uh, you know, precedent of reaction. But basically, it wouldn't be a surprise if sporting events here are under serious threat of being played behind closed doors or not at all in the near future. No, not at all. Like we're saying, you know, that if Ulster against the Dragons was tomorrow, it would be happening as normal. But there's no way for us to predict what will happen in ten days' time because ten days' time. Or sorry, ten days ago. So, so four days ago, France had two hundred eighty-five cases. Yeah, exactly. So we're four days away from reaching like the, the U- French level. You know, the UK today is more afflicted by the coronavirus than Italy was two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. So, if you look at the spread now, obviously people are. It should be contained somewhat. The more people are aware of measures mm-hmm. to do that, but yeah. easier said than done. Exactly. So, in terms of the rugby season, which is why, why we're, we're here, here. exactly, um, it's not looking good. No. But there's nothing concrete to say. People are here, sitting here going, well, what's going to happen? We don't know. But the bottom line is, we don't know. But Well, nobody looking, knows. From, exactly. But from looking at the evidence, it does not look promising. No. So, again... You get yourself a Premier Sports subscription if you don't already have one. Yeah. Again, it's... <laughs> You know, it's the same as we were saying when we first started talking about this whenever the Teresa game was cancelled. It's supposition, but, you know, sat then, whatever that was, two weeks ago, we were like, can't see how Ireland at least played or how mm-hmm. yeah. um, France against Ireland has played. And here we are. And here we are. So, yeah, like, a lot of waiting between now and then to see what happens, but I'll stir you to play and... 11 days time at home to Dragons on uh, the 20th of March so that's probably our next uh, port of call in terms of seeing how this is going to go and by then we'll maybe have heard more on the Champions Cup quarterfinal in Toulouse so well I would say we, you know Toulouse will play that weekend mm-hmm. as yeah. well mm-hmm. so they'll have to take a decision yeah before then for the uh, top 14 yeah. fixtures that weekend yeah and that'll set the precedent then for the, the quarterfinal. So, aside from all from all that then, um, which has been dominating news, of course, uh, probably wasn't the best time for Rory Best to launch his book. No, in Dublin, supposed to, I assume to coincide with Ireland Italy and then Ireland Italy. Yeah. Yeah. So as well. Yeah. But you have got your, your hands on a copy? Yeah. Um, read it over the weekend I I enjoyed it I enjoyed it far more than I enjoyed some of the other rugby offerings over the past um, past number of months um, 
I think there's some there's some interesting themes in there, as well as um, interesting anecdotes. Mm-hmm. So I suppose to tackle the themes first, there's some interesting themes um, about identity. I suppose um, Rory Best's identity as Ireland captain, mm-hmm. um, hailing from Northern Ireland, and Similar enough grind to what people have heard him say on the shoulder to shoulder documentary that BT Sport did, but um, still interesting and just I suppose him going into detail about the the online abuse that he had suffered, um, having been made Ireland captain and not singing the anthems and yeah things like that. Um, his own I suppose character because we always hear about Rory Best as a leader. And just passages on him overcoming his own shyness, I find quite interesting. Yeah. And stuff like that. And then you've got a range of just fairly good anecdotes from his early days in Ulster. He's very frank, I suppose, in confirming um, stories that we all would have heard that in his early days in the Ulster camp that he wasn't uh, shy in taking a pint um, but the, the bit the bits that I find most interesting weren't the sort of hijinks of barging down doors or mm. um, setting himself on fire I don't know whether we should call these things hijinks or not but um, <laughs> go try this at home yeah exactly but more I suppose the frankness and the openness that he had this turning point in his career when he yeah. realised that how much he was drinking was having um, this detriment on his professional career, and he wasn't going to be the player that he wanted to be, um, or uh, have the career that he wanted to have, unless he stopped drinking as much during the season. So, um, in the first instance, basically banning himself from drinking, and then doing it much more so in moderation. Yeah, um, was all interesting stuff. I find the stuff about um, Mark McCall. Uh, the most interesting of all the, I suppose, detail that he went into and the various coaching changes under Ulster. These are the things that I talk about more as so sort of anecdotes rather than themes that reoccur. There's just mm-hmm. chapters where he'll where he would go into. Um, in the instance of Mark McCall, you know the players having a meeting, um, of their complaints and how that influence when that was brought to Mark McCall, him feeling that there wasn't support in the dressing room for him. And I, that, because we'd all obviously heard the stories about how he, um, you know, he was getting abuse at his, um, when he was picking up his children and stuff like that. And yeah. um, how that played into him leaving Ulster, but also the fact that he didn't feel there was support there from the players. Mm-hmm. Um, some interesting bits on Justin Harrison. Um his time time with Ulster and then um, just going back into the coaches um, just his his opinions I suppose on Mark Anscombe Les Kiss John O'Gibbs and most laterally and probably most briefly um, Dan McFarland as well Um, but there's a lot there's a lot more in there in the early years than I thought that there would be I was. I don't think I was ever going to be as interested in the last couple of years because they're so well documented mm-hmm. anyway. Yeah. Um. And I think 
Roy Best had almost already said his piece on what he thought yeah. went wrong with the World Cup. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not that he rose it back, but you know it was quite clear that he doesn't want to, or he didn't feel comfortable with how that was portrayed mm-hmm. um, in regards to his relationship with Joe Schmidt. And yeah. even we find out in the book, David Nusifor, because there's clearly a desire to go on working within either yeah. Irish rugby or Ulster rugby. Same thing, I suppose. Um, in some capacity and pass on that I suppose real wealth of mm-hmm. knowledge and technical expertise mm-hmm. that he has because and do you give any insight into what sort of capacity he would like to to do that it sort of flits between I suppose a director of rugby type role yeah. but also even just as a scrum coach you know because mm-hmm. he does have that um technical expertise in mm-hmm. the scrum not talked about massively but he was always seen as by far and away Ireland's best scrummaging hooker mm-hmm. and he does talk about wanting to you know pass that information on even if it's like in an informal capacity and mm. um, so see him at somewhere other than Ireland or Ulster I don't know yeah whenever he's talking about it in his book is very much geared towards Ulster mm. But, you know, if you had said a year ago, would you see him playing for anybody else? You would have said, no, that no, doesn't make any sense. Happened. And obviously it nearly happened with him um, almost, or I suppose toying with the idea of going to yeah. Bristol. Yeah, be interesting. So it was worth a read anyway. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Um, I would recommend it. And certainly more... It's, it's obviously pitched at an Ireland-wide audience. Mm. Personally, I find the Ulster stuff, as I would, I suppose, yeah. um, far more engrossing than the Ireland mm-hmm. stuff, you know, because the Ireland stuff is so, you know, stuff about the 09 Grand Slam or mm-hmm. um, not so much this World Cup, I suppose, but it's all been covered before, mm-hmm. whereas the Ulster stuff is all new because yeah. the only other person... The only other Ulster rugby autobiography of recent times is Ferris, whereas, mm-hmm. you know, if you look at, to yeah. use 09 as an example, well, probably 10 maybe <laughs> of the 09 squad with yeah, Rob Carney's to come out this year have released mm. autobiographies. Yeah. No, very good. Well, anybody uh, going to buy that can maybe um, look up on a, a couple of books if they haven't already read uh, a superb book that's been out on Ulster a couple of, uh, don't know, six, 18 months ago. Yeah, it's been out a while now. What's it called? The uh, Last the, Amateurs. The Last Amateurs, yeah. I remember it. So. Still in Watersons whenever I went to pick up well, my Rory Best books. So. Still available if anybody uh, yeah. uh, has yet to get their hands on a copy. Well worth a read. It's on my bookshelf at home. So that's about us for this week. We'll be back. Look, everything's up in the air, but we will be back at some stage next week <laughs> because the Schools Cup final, as we speak, is still scheduled to be played on Tuesday and as far as we know, will be played on Tuesday. Yeah. So, it's a foot mouth here that they moved it and played it in like the middle of April. Well, like, ruling off and out at this stage, <laughs> I suppose that's another eight days away, so who knows where we'll be by then. But, uh, yeah, look, uh, we'll keep you updated at some stage anyway. But um, for now, from Donovan Bradley. Cheers, thank you. And myself, Gareth Hanna. Thanks for listening. Yeah.